and welcome to the Rugby Bits podcast. And we're going to be reviewing the four quarterfinals that happened at the Rugby World Cup this weekend. And now we have only four teams left in the competition. Argentina, New Zealand, England and South Africa have earned their way to the semifinals after probably one of the best quarterfinal weekends that we've had in history. I've got Cooks, I've got Sean with, with me today. We're going to be going through all of these games in detail. Of course, starting with the Springboks 29-28 win over the host France um, in the last quarterfinal on Sunday. Sean, I think let's just get the ball rolling from the off. Um, yeah, yesterday's game, there's so many things to break down into it. But I think as you probably called it, actually, Sean, the Springboks were a lot more efficient than they have been um, even in the last, well, four years, essentially. And when they got their chances, they took it. And that was the difference in the game. Hello, everybody. Yes. Oh, wow. I'm buzzing. I am... I've been trying really hard to watch games back before the pods and I haven't been able to, but I made sure to watch this one again today. It was uh, as stressful <laughs> as live. But yes, we we were more efficient. We were more expansive than I thought. I mean, we all kind of figured we'd be expansive. We were a little bit more expansive. We were striking really hard, but I, the only word, is we were efficient. We were hitting them hard. We were taking our opportunities it was glorious, but it was dovetailed by the fact that France were doing exactly the same. So it was two amazing teams executing really well, just backwards and forwards. It was, wow, it was stunning. You can't fault either teams and you can't really fault any of the players that played on Saturday or 40 or 45. I don't think Luku came on, but all of them played to a very high level. Cooks, um, we're going to go into like, all the talking points, all the individual performances and everything. But yeah, I mean, you had a <laughs> had the privilege of watching the game, um, obviously doing some scooter work for Supersport. How how are the nerves and the vibes there? Oh man, it was <laughs> it was incredible. You know, it, it was I mean, obviously I think getting to studio, I think I think uh, a call time was just obviously I got there about half time of the England game. So so sort of so sort of was still fine, and then like, I remember when the, the game ended, there was a bit of the nerves sort of sort of um, sort of hit. I remember J.V. Peterson basically couldn't sit down for about for about two <laughs> hours, walking up and down. And then I think there was just like the sort of tension, like in the, everyone was just like there was no one, like no one was a calm. It was like funny. I think Odin Nugano was the most calm one. He's just like taking it in his stride. But I mean, like I don't think anything phases him. He's always been like a, like a very calm, yeah. calm natured person, but. I think yeah, it was a lot of nerves. I think obviously the game, and it it does help that the, there's no audio in the in the in the camera shots that it shows in the change room then because it won't be as family as family friendly uh, to leave um, the TV with the. With I was lip reading, yeah. mate. You. And then, um, <laughs> it was a lot happening. I was picking it up. No, there was a lot going on. I think no, it was awesome though. I think it was like the game was so stressful, just so so stressful. But it was an incredible, incredible game, and then. Just like, oh man, obviously afterwards of getting the win. No, but it was such a good day out, such a such a great day. Well, it's sort of well, the England Fiji game at the end there's also that sort of got us riled up properly. Nothing nothing like an England win to rile up a few South Africans. So <laughs> so it was uh, no it was proper. No, it was a flipping incredible experience. Okay, I think let's get into the nuts and bolts of this game. So South Africa won a game in which they had uh, less possession and territory for pretty much the whole game. Um, 60% uh, possession, 63% territory from the French. Um, 
the French beat 43 defenders to the box 12, which meant that the box had a 73% tackle wow. success rate, um, with the French having uh, 87. Uh, clean breaks, 13 for the French to 6. Gain line carries, they doubled. Passes, they doubled. 13 offloads to 2. Box had 8 turnovers. I think some big impact from especially Kwaka Smith uh, coming off the bench. And I think a big key... Um, statistic and that we're going to talk about the Ches and Colby um, uh, blocked conversion but goal kicking was 80% for the box um, and 71% for France which was obviously a big strength of theirs and the French scrum was struggling um, in comparison with only 50% scrum success rate. Also big shout out to both teams. Only six penalties each um, in wow. the whole game which is ridiculous and I think goes It didn't to feel like that. Yeah, I think it just goes to the management of Ben O'Keefe. He I think he allowed a contest as far as possible uh, without, uh, you know, over-penalizing. I mean, yeah, we'll obviously talk about Mati Ray now on the other side of this. But yeah, Sean, you know, this wasn't always the cleanest victory for the Springboks. I think they had to do it the hard way. France really came out all guns blazing. Um, but ultimately, I think what won them the game was the ability to strike. I think let's talk about counterattack first. Their ability to strike, three of those four tries that the Springboks scored were all from basically transition plays, either from kicks or from balls or bobbling. And yeah, we've seen this a few times, but yeah, I think the Springboks have really gone from just relying on almost like on Colby or Arendt or whoever one of those magic people on the wing are to create opportunities to the whole team being able to be built around that. Like, I mean, from Creel's grabber, from how Dialandi um, created the try for for Arensa, like there's so much more dynamism with the box when they have transition. They were lethal in the country. Incredible, and we we feeding we are feeding off that. That has become an attacking strategy for us, um, and something that they're definitely working on. And it all falls off the defense. Now, I know I'm sure we're going to chat about the defense in a bit, but. The defense was stressing me out. Um, I almost felt like our scrambled defense needed scrambled defense, which was making me mm. very, very nervous. But on the back end of that, we have we have structured our play in such a way, even in 2019, it was the case with so much kicking, we were waiting for other teams to make mistakes. But we have taken that counterattack and we've taken that turnover ball to a new level. And it's amazing. And everyone from from 9 to 15, doesn't matter where they are in the park. They are very much telepathically connected and they know what's going on. They also are extremely in tune with everyone else's abilities, like the speed and everything. It was, it was amazing. We were, yeah, we, we, we put so much pressure on them that they made mistakes, but we made those mistakes count in our favor more often than not. And I don't think that they've been punished like that for errors in a long, long time. Yeah, I think that's very true. Like, France was playing a pretty high-level game, and they just couldn't get that second score um, just to put some distance between them and the box, which obviously mattered in those last 30-odd minutes. Cooks, let's talk about the defense. I mean, it's not often you say a team that had like 75% tackling and conceded four tries defended well, but that's what the box did. And there were some massive interventions uh, you know, from It's a Beth, from Peter Steph to Toy, from Kwaka Smith, like you go through the whole team. There's been Mongi Munambi was effectively defending at center <laughs> most times. And 
as much as Fiku and Dante were trying to challenge, they couldn't get around him. Creole was just a nuisance. Every any anytime Jalibe got the ball, like we know that the Springbok defense, you know, gives space off wide. We'll give away a few line breaks. We'll drop off a few tackles. Um, so the defenders' beaten stats can be a bit high. But we know that the strength is that scramble. And they were able to just get themselves and to stop some opportunities. Because France, I mean, France had opportunities. They easily could have, you know, scored maybe another three tries. Yeah, totally. You sounded up nicely. I think scramble defense was the, showed why our scramble, the box showed yesterday why our scramble defense is the best in the world. And it's incredible how, how quickly we, we're able to turn line breaks and how quickly where teammates in line break, how quickly the box can adjust and sort of gain sort of dominance again you know, of, of, of the gain line. I think it's something that the box have done very, very well. We're very good at stopping, you know, at stopping teams that one or two phases after a line break. I think it's something that we do very well. Um, and, and I think yesterday, I don't, I think the best part of our defenses was we made key stops at, at crucial times. I think um, overall, I think knowing Jacques, Jacques is probably a big, Knowing Jacques is a big um, stickler for his defense. I thought France was able to, at times, better than most as I've seen in the box in this run, was able to stop the the line speed. Those those good line speed at times, but not as quickly as it was. Say, for example, like in the Ireland game, I think France's ability to sort of to the 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 gain line dominance that France got. Not many sides can do this. Pretty much, I thought France was able to get over the gain line and sort of. Uh, to dictate terms again, and so the Springboks always they always felt like they're going backwards and backwards. But one thing the boxing was all these crucial stops and crucial interventions at the perfect time, crucial turnovers, crucial, crucial, like yeah, knock-ons and forcing France to, into mistakes on an attack. And I think that's what we did well. I think, um, and it was a game where we felt, especially defensively, we had to scramble. Like France, especially in the first half, was very clinical. I think both sides were, were quite were very clinical, especially in the first half where. It felt like with France, whenever they got into the, into the red zone, they scored. And then um, in the second half, especially when the box weren't playing, we know our best was, was about a 15-minute period where I think a of the subs came on where France was just chasing after the game and, we, and they needed that second score, especially when they went six points clear and you felt like, oh, France get the second score. This could be the game. And um, and, I, and they were able to make such crucial stops. Quaker Smith was an absolutely unbelievable Ox won a scrum penalty. Um, and that sort of changed the the tide in the game, and and, and I think defensively, I, I think there were such massive key moments we do that we did well. I mean, Eben Itzabeth single basically, almost single handedly kept the Springboks in the game the first off with that with that unbelievable defensive stop, and then straight after that goes and gets the 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 kick chase that leads to the first try away, and then no, it was, it was it was an unbelievable effort from the box um, defensively. Uh, Especially our scramble, it was beautiful to watch, and I think France can take a lot of credit in terms of just, yeah, like I, I, there's not many sides that can do the Springbok defense, and in terms of just finding ways to slow down the the line speed as as it was, but then but but again, the Springboks that scramble was incredible, and I just thought that um, it was it was a day of big plays. Even Faf at the end, they ripped there, just big players on defense at crucial times, and that's why they're in the semi final. Yeah, I think that's the difference between the two teams. The Springboks, all the big players went on their side, essentially. Um, the Etzebeth try stop, the Colby charge down conversion. Um, Ramos missed his long-range kick, Pollard got his. Um, some of the try opportunities as well. Uh, the Springboks obviously scoring at least three tries from like transition plays that were just absolutely just breathtaking. 
um, the box going for the quick tap instead of the three points. Like, they really, I mean, the difference between the two teams is probably the one took all the big moments, even if they didn't have all the possession and territory. They, I think, only essentially dictated the game for maybe that last quarter when most of the game was being played in the French half. Sean? Yeah, on the defense, I was, our scramble was good, but one thing that I was a little bit frustrated with was I thought Jesse Creel shifting up into that passing lane was outstanding. But the downside of that is we seem to be leaking a little bit when the, when the players stepped in. And <clears throat> that's normally like where we're strongest. Um, that's, why, that's why we have that umbrella defense is to force people back into the traffic. And, you know, that, like that was the, the good and the bad of it. And the other side, and um, it's, it's an unpopular opinion, like I don't think DuPont had a great game. I, DuPont was good and he was not his 100% self. Um, and that was purely because of how the Springboks targeted him. Because like he's, he was probably wrapped up two or three times. Um, he was forced into one shitty kick and there were two tries that we scored that were directly off him making a mistake. Granted, the one was from uh, Damien Delendi's kick where, he, where DuPont was man alone and he was pinged for, for, blowing, uh, for holding on. But that was the side that I thought, that's why I thought Reinach started. I thought Reinach started because he was a, he's a good nine, but I thought his kicking was off, but I thought he started because he had, he's the hardest, ro- most robust nine that we have to go up against DuPont and just smother him. And we got in his face. And it shows how good he is as a player that he still had incredible moments with try assists and he was at the center of everything, the French playoff for nine. But I really thought that our defense was centered around really pestering him and he made crucial, crucial errors and errors that cost France. Um, yes, he scored tries and, and, and or should I, sorry, should I say it was at the heart of tries, but I thought our defense there was, was outstanding. Yo, I don't know. I think that's, I, I hear why you say it's unpopular because I thought, all things considered, DuPont had a very good game. But I hear your point. I mean, the box also forced him to a few errors um, because of the relentlessness of the attack around the fringes. So DuPont never had or had fewer of those like runs that he has just from around rucks. But I think also just his ability to get away from it. I think, I mean, yeah, going quickly off France, I think their mistake they didn't make too many of them on Saturday, Sunday, but their mistake was, I think they tried to go wide too quickly, too t- a, few, uh, a few too many times in the second half. Whereas what they were doing well in the first half was going a bit more direct and going and playing off nine and trying to suck in the defenders and then, you know, you know, t- um, hitting the, the, the trigger when, when, when the space was there. I think they tried to go too wide and that's where a few errors happened. But yeah, I think it's... DuPont having the game that he did is, in his standards, a quieter game. But yeah, I I thought he, he was constantly that one person that every time he got the ball, it was like, there, there's a lot of red alerts and worries for, for, for all the teams. Mm. Um, let's, or do you want to say something, Sean? No, no, no. I, I agree with you. Like, he had a good game and he was at the heart of everything. But we absolutely made his night as shit as possible. And, and, and the facts are that we forced, we forced 12 points, maybe 14, I think it was, we forced 12 points yeah. off, off two of his errors. Like, 
you know <laughs> like i said unpopular but you know that's it's that's what the way it, the way it happened man let's go into individual performances um we'll start obviously on the springbok side so uh man of the match was bongi bonambi um i think we talked about him a little bit there about his interventions defensively uh lineouts were I think 100% while he was uh, playing as well. Scrums obviously were great. So like you can see why that was. But Cooks, I think it's a day where <laughs> there's at least 10 or so candidates that would have had a good shot for man the match. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll allow you to pick out one or two if you want. There should be enough for Sean to also pick up on them once you're done. <laughs> oh, geez. I mean, it's it, like, I think, I think you tweeted it as basically choose... It's like there's like there's a whole bunch of excellent guys and the excellent players and the guys who had like just good games and um, that's how high the standard was. But I, for me, I want to just highlight um, Ibanez a bit. Um, I'll leave Jesse Creel to Sean. Um, I mean, Jesse Creel was fantastic, but I just want to highlight Ibanez a bit. Yesterday was colossal. I mean, there is many. He's, he's got a long list of um, incredible games and. When in 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 it's an Ibn it's a bit incredible game is like it's 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 unreal what he the things you can do on the field and yesterday he was at his all time best big hits um he's he's turning into one of the best kick changes in the world now barring any position because he's such a menace in the air um busy at more time carrying just sort of ground you brought in the game I mean I mean I think even including the yellow card I mean besides including the card that's probably the only mistake he made and then but um you look at just the impact that he's able to have i mean it's it's incredible what, what, what he did yesterday and I, and I just thought even the game did change again when he when he, when he came back on that was massive it was just the tempo lifted as well and you and the grant sort of the the grant that extra grant that he provides i thought he was massive um just oh man he was colossal i mean uh he is he's, he's, he's providing an outstanding case that when all is said and done, that he might end up being the greatest Springbok. You know, you look at, you look at, you look at the numbers in terms of most caps, and you know he's got a, he's got a World Cup on a British and Irish tour. I think the only thing probably missing in his ranks, if you're considering him like with a Brian O'Banner or someone like that, or is is a World Player of the Year. But I mean, he's been nominated a few times. This is incredible, um, and I thought yesterday it was one of was one of those performers that we needed. I think we haven't had a, a, a even it's a bit masterclass this year and he saved he saved it for a flipping good time because shit man he was it was just absolutely colossal to watch and it just reminded me why he's one of the best players who've ever won the green and gold. The other player who had a masterclass and like it's when Eben has a good game, the Springboks do well and the same goes for Ches and Colby. He was outstanding. Every single time he got the ball, he would beat a man. He would make the advantage line. He would do something. He was taking gaps. I was trying to watch them on slow-mo to try and figure out how exactly he managed to get through that space. It was incredible. Um, but, yeah, like on Jesse Krill and Damien, I thought they were both excellent. They were they, they apparently, in inverted commas, never pass or never this or never that. They did it all on Saturday. and like. I'm pretty sure the listeners are, are are tired of hearing me talk about it or us. But yeah, if you want to hear about Creel and Delaney, you can probably listen to any one of our previous podcasts after a Springbok Test match. They were outstanding. And I'm telling you now, they are the most feared center pairing 
to face in world rugby right now. Nobody, nobody wants to run at them. Nobody wants to do anything against them because they'll hit you and they'll hit you hard. Um, the other person who I thought kind of flew under the radar. Um, yeah, but like, as you mentioned, like everyone had a good game and some had excellent games. He was borderline excellent, but Damien Willemser and I, you know, I've always wanted, I wanted Willie to play and especially when Manny there, but then I realized like with France kicking deep so often, Willems is the guy um, to run it back. And he was there all day. He was safe as houses. Like he really didn't, you didn't, he didn't really stand out a lot, which is great for a fullback sometimes. Like, you know, like he, he was never out of place. He was always in the mix. Um, and then the last person I want to mention, I mean, Cooks, you stuck on here, but I thought I'd cover everyone else. But Franco Morstert was just a beast. Um, his numbers don't really do it justice. Like his tackle numbers are good, but everything else is really quiet. But he was just a wall, man. He was just flattening people. Yeah, I mean, he was. I mean, Franco, I mean, again, like, you know, Franco Smith, he's one of those guys that just basically, he's been, he's been since probably, since going back to five, he's been very, very good back to, Good old Franco Smith. I mean, the guy rolls out of bed and gives you and gives you about fourteen tackles in about fifteen minutes. I mean, that's just basically what he does. But I mean, people sure ask for me, him to be dropped. Do you remember? Yeah, a couple no, months she's ago, just saying he's past and I, I, I always, I always felt like it's just time for him to go, he's just to go back to lock. I mean, that was the answer. But <laughs> like, no, I thought he was going to be Bongi. I thought Bongi put an incredible shift in that in that hooker. I mean, I can't remember when last he's played eighty minutes with the Springboks or if he has before, but he put in. An incredible hit, just hitting everything that moved. Um, I really, I mean, Quaker Smith, I mean, he's the bomb in the bomb squad. I think um, he's been incredible. Every time he comes on, he makes a massive impact. It was a massive steal that he, a massive steal that um, that he came in and did. I mean, I mean, I know that it's a steal that French fans say he had his hand on the ground. It's, it's 50-50, that call, I think. It's one of those it ones. It was on the ground. <laughs> There's yeah. nothing 50-50 about it. <laughs> His hand was on the ground. <laughs> no, but the, the thing is, though, like, no, but the law is that you, 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 if you can have on the ground and bring up a meter unless, unless you don't put it, you have leeway to be able to put your hand on the ground and, 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 and put it back up immediately. I think if you go past the ball, that's the rule. So some referees allow you to sort of put your hand on the ground as long as you can get it back up as soon as possible. Like, for example, like, don't give some of the only some of the Courtney Laws ones that that they were given that Mathur Reynolds didn't like blowing. But I think um, Reynolds still saying leave it to Courtney Laws right <laughs> <yeah>. now today. <laughs> no, but um, no, 100. But um, no, but I mean, Guaca was 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 incredible. I think I think everyone played a role. I mean, I mean, Pollard came. I mean, Pollard. I mean, he came on, came that gave that massive um, penalty from the halfway line. Um, everyone played a role. Five. You know, fun funny people are obviously were taking Fuff like people. I saw scrolling through Twitter, people were like, "Oh, I can't believe Fuff kick, kick the ball, kick the ball away the minute to go." I'm like, "Well, you," I was like, "You can't expect the ball. What, you want them to do pick and goals for a minute? Like, whenever a team does a pick and goals seconds, thing for like a minute, eh? I'm like, you, they're going to get blown for sealing off. It happens yes. so many times. I'm like, just kick. Like, and we were static rather, as well. We weren't even going forward. Hundred percent. I was like, well, if I'm the Springboks, if the minute to go, I'm rather asking France. To come from 80 meters out, then trying to make sure I don't make a mistake, and then now that they are 40, 40 meters in or 50 minutes in, they can go for the corner. Cooks, you know, you know what? I was all for that, but you know what stressed me out the most was that kick was a very shallow, contestable 
<laughs> yeah, that, was, that was a stress beyond. I was like, yeah, but, could you maybe put 15 more meters on that, please? Like, they can mark it if they want. I don't really care. And they won't, they won't mark it because they need to go. That's, yeah. Like, that's a why? Why? Yeah, that's a part also that they gave me. Like, why, we, why, is, why is it back to contestable? Uh, because we were all, we all sitting there. Because like, once we saw them setting up like, on the stadium at the minute, we were like screaming, like, kick the, kick the ball. Like, you, you're not just going to pick and go. You're not going to pick and go over two minutes. Like, something is bound to happen. Someone's going to seal off. Um, but I thought, yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's just a, such an incredible shift from everyone. But, um, yeah, flip, man, like, it's just, it's one of those, it's one of those few games where just everyone just steps up and everyone was, everyone was, everyone was fantastic and just made for a an incredible game of rugby. Yeah, I think you guys even left me a few players I can still talk about, even though we've gone through most of the team. Um, I thought Peter Steph Toy had a fantastic game. It looked like sort of shades of like 2019 when he was the best player in the world. I think you know when he dummies, a, you know when he dummies in the back line, it's on it. Eh? <laughs> Yeah, it was his pass that went for that uh, Colby try, right? Because I think he he was pass the Creel. first or second player to yeah that passed to Jesse Creel. But he had some big defensive stops. I think he was the one that went from the scrum to stop Pino in that uh, first attack that started from about eighty meters out. So he ran from the scrum and covered about 40, 50 meters, which was ridiculous. Um, I think Lebok and Reinach managed the game really well uh, from nine and ten. Uh, it's good that I think the Springboks have with, I mean, Reinach and De Klerk, both of them have their iffy moments, I think, at nine. De Klerk more just because he's absolutely mental and Reinach maybe just an execution thing. But they're, I think they stuck to the game plan well. They clearly t- um, focused on that left wing of France, which is why those aerial bombs from Leboc were coming there. And geez, Leboc had a great game, especially playing a more let's call it a more Pollard type of uh, execution of obviously putting those um, cross-field um, bombs up. And obviously two of them led, well, one, one of his led to a try and one of Reynach's, which is probably, the reason why it was probably was a bit shallow, but it also led to a try. Um, and they clearly executed that game plan really well. So I thought Lebok managed the game well in the second half when Pollard came on. Obviously he did what he needed to do with um, that uh, big penalty near the end. And then... Yeah, I think we've talked about the wings. What I was going to say about Willemse as well, very quickly, was his kicking from the 22 was almost spotless or faultless, I should say. Mm. Like, every time he kicked, because obviously we know how long the French kick, every time he kicked back, it was with interest. Um, He kicked to touch most times, um, and he did really well with that because the whole trick with the French kicking game is, you know, if you get to a long kicking game with them, they will finally get that opportunity when your defense is unstructured. So you either kick to touch like Willemse did or you run like Colby did. So Colby, I think, got a few meters also just from returning kicks and that worked out quite well for the Springboks. And then, yeah, I think there's, we've said, I think, a lot about Quaker Smith and his impact on the bench. And yeah, I think the coaches also have to be applauded. I think I was definitely on their butts about that um, island game and the lack of experience that the Springboks had at the end of this game. But this game, they made sure that, well, okay, a little bit of luck happened as well with maybe some of the HIAs, but they had uh, Fermulin and or Peter Steff on the field. Bonambi finished about 70-odd minutes. Etzebeth was on the field except for his um, sin bin. Um, obviously, the three backline players, Pollard, De Klerk, and LaRue came on. Colby obviously has uh, a, a big bag of caps himself. The centers were all experienced. 
Um, so that made sure that I think we had the players for those big moments, which we maybe didn't in the Island game. So it'll be interesting to see what, I mean, I don't know when the team's going to be announced. Probably, I don't know if we're going to go to Friday or Tuesday. But yeah, I I wouldn't mind if this is the team that sort of carries through to the final. Oh yeah, Dwayne Vermeulen. What a good game from him. Um, you can see that the old warhorse <laughs> maybe isn't as energetic as he was, but massive. Uh, he was massive in terms of he had a big steal, I think, in a big moment when the French were building momentum in the first half. He slowed a lot of ball down. He was good. He was obviously, you know how important he is as a leader and as a captain of the defense. And yeah, I'm very happy if Dwayne Vermeulen's on the field. I think that he's the sort of player that can that obviously does win us these big um, tight matches. Folks? No, I, tell you, I wanted to say, um, especially I'm so glad you brought up Moyle Bok because I think people were expecting a different type of meal from Chef Marnie, you know, always was a meal mm. of being clinical because lots of people were, were coming to these festivities. As, as we sent out a thousand invites the whole week, but so Chef Marnie was like, you know what, we're gonna focus on being clinical this weekend. We're not gonna, yes, there's, there's four or five different meats and um, vegetarian options, halal options, but it was about it was, it was about getting them out, making sure everyone was fed, and he did that. Tyler just being clinical, chances there, score a try, chance here, score a try. Crossfield bombs. So I think Lucanio also came with a secret spice that he left at home with all those crossfield bombs. But but um <laughs> but I think um Chef Marnie this week, I don't want people to think he's not the the master chef we do know. It was a different type of meal. Sometimes you gotta adapt because we sent out an invitation, but the pots were not enough. So we had to sort of limit uh, the, the the sauces and the and, and and the salads, but then but but Chef Cheslin razzled and dazzled still. We, there's still a little bit of razzle, but Chef Moni is is, is a different type of chef. I like him. He's got different sort of options. He's not not just a a one-trick pony. You know, so um, so, so guys, I was in panic, guys. There's still another feast this weekend. Chef Moni still got us. There still will be four or five meats. Still a fantastic feast, but a different type of feast from this weekend from my chef. Jeez, it made me hungry there. Um, Chef Moni came with that, you know, Michelin star, nicely designed plate that doesn't fill you with any food. But it's so nicely sort of like technical and designed well instead of the feast that we're used to. But it's more than happy and we'll get the five-star mission rating for that. 100%. 100%. So, yeah, Marnie definitely cooked. Let's talk quickly about France. Then we can go through some of the big moments in the game. Sean, I mean, <laughs> there's not too much you can fault for um, that France did on Saturday, on Sunday. Um, you know, set pieces went pretty well. They <sighs> at least got parity in the collisions for most of the game. As we said, they created chances. They stretched the Bok defense for a lot of it. Scored three tries. I mean, that's not something that often happens to the Springboks. And they still lost. And yeah, yeah, it's just, there's not much. I think with Ireland, you can say that they left things out there and didn't maybe execute on certain things. With France, it's just, it's a different kind of uh, heartbreaking loss because the opportunities were there. They just couldn't finish them. Yeah, that the thing is, is we what when they've got such great front football, <clears throat> excuse me, and and they're working it so well, they generally get penalties, and they'll either take the three points or they'll kick to the corner. They got a strong line out and drive and whatnot. We managed to strangle that a little bit. Um, for them, it was weird. France, it was almost like the longer the game went on, the more the doubt settled in because. If we're very honest, the Springboks were good, but we we were good when we got the ball in that turnover for those little moments, and and we made it count. 
but there were a lot of that game where they were on top of us, where they were beating us, where they were making like 10, 20 meter breaks and then they had front football and we just managed to scramble and it started getting to them. And I mean, even Ramos, uh, that 22 restart at the end of the game, he sent it straight out. Um, there was a little bit of a tide turner there and well, a little bit before that. But I thought France managed their game well. I think their plan and everything that they needed to do and how they did it worked out well. They just didn't factor in for, honestly, the the, the chaos that the Springboks brought, brought. Because we were chaotic on defense. Like we were, it felt like we were scrambling all the time. And if we weren't scrambling, we had to scramble the scramble. And it was chaotic. And there were moments there where we got out of it. And I was like, how on earth did we get people back like how have France not capitalized like we were making Tyler you you nailed it earlier on you said there were a lot of big moments that the Springboks won in on defense there were big moments that the Springboks won like a last ditch tackle that um Faf de Klerk, ankle tap the big hits by Mbunambi in midfield um like yeah it was oh, I was crazy I I think it's going to be really hard for the French to look back at that and kind of pinpoint where they went wrong besides the fact that they were just beaten by a chaotic and a deadly South Africa. Shocky, I think for me, I think when France looked back at it, I think there was a period where our sub sort of, that first five to ten minutes that they came on, they sort of started off a little, a little, a little slow. We missed a few lineouts and then, and then there was a few. There's a there's a missed tackle from the straight from Sepiso Jali we went through. So there, I thought, and then obviously they, they got to they got it up to about to to six point lead. I think there France had about about two opportunities sort of to score a try and got got themselves in positions. But again, like Tyler said, forcing the play to go wide too soon when maybe they needed one of those few pick and goes. Maybe if not, at least get a penalty to go nine points clear or still set up. I think there was the, the the frantic nature of the game, France also almost tried to make it a lot more frantic where at times they might have just needed to sort of slow things down a little bit and just be and focus on efficiency and 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 execution, especially after they'd made the line break and, and one or two phases where maybe where they had to just one or two little pick and goes and not try and sort of force a try within three phases. And because I thought in the first half, that's what they were able to do when when they did create chances, they were, they were a little bit more patient and more clinical. And in the second half, they sort of almost tried to be more frantic, almost like they, they felt like they had to score because they knew the Springboks would, would score, will bounce back immediately. And I think that minute, the 10 minutes where our bench struggled a little bit, I think that's where France would look back and be like, man, we had opportunities at, at when we had a six-point lead to to bear this game. And obviously, I think there's certain big moments that happened that hurt them. The, the, tem- the, the Ramos... Uh, shank for for touch huge the Ramos <laughs> twenty two dropout that goes out on the full which is massive that was and a jelly bear that, that picked a touch was a wild the, 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 the jelly one was wild and then the Ramos kick, what the hell was that that was <laughs> I had to rewind I was like I looked away from the TV and I just saw wait why is the French line out in the twenty two they just had a penalty I literally had to rewind and just be like how did he shank it so badly. Absolutely crazy. No, it was, you know, it was. Cooks, the, the, you're right, the, the panic, the panic set in. The, when, the big thing for me 
when the bench came on and you're 100% right, but Antoine Dupont waited that whole game for one thing, and that was for Fuff de Klerk to come on because the second Fuff came on, he broke blind. It was, he, it, it's like Fuff and, um, and Pollard, that intensity of the game when they came on, they weren't ready for it. And Pollard missed uh, four, four out of his eight tackles. He missed a couple of, of big ones. It's that there that that when when Fuff was getting into the game, when Pollard was getting into the game, where both of them were quite scratchy, where where France should have scored. Like in reality, they should have scored. But our scramble scramble got us. And France had a four-point lead and they were deep in our 22. And I watched the game back this morning, as I mentioned, and I and I still for the life of me can't remember how we got out of that. But they were in our 22 and they were looking amazing to score a try. And they had a four-point lead. It would have pushed it up to um, a nine or 11 point that would have, I feel would have been the game and yeah, we got out of it and that, 100%. and that broke them, that broke them like not badly, but that was it. That was, that was, that was that, that moment. hundred percent shocking. I think it was one of those things. I mean, like, yeah, I don't want to keep my brain is been going on like, that four point lead. I think, I think France and almost the Springboks knew then what if France score next, it, it's probably game. And I think at 11 points, I think France, We'll sort of go back into the mold of kicking it deep and, and, and sort of can back themselves defensively if they need to close the game out. But I think for them, they, they had that feeling like nine points or 11 points buffer. That's the safe thing. I think that's what maybe let them get into a little bit of a panic. But, and, it's, and, the, and the crazy thing for France, it's, it's, it's all fine margins, right? Because, I mean, you, you come against the best scramble defense in the world and, and, and France keep creating opportunities and, and create opportunities. I mean, even at the end, they were... When Pernod made that, that break and found Fuku, like, oh, geez, how are these oh. finding a way to keep coming back? And then, which was, which is a testament to them. But I think in a game like that, it does come down to those fine margins. I think, um, I think Pernod, as good as he was, I think defensively, what Thomas, what, 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 what Thomas, what Thomas, so went on, but he worried about him defensively. I think the Springbok exposed him. And, um, and, and they sort of, um, that's my low training coming back. And they sort of, um, and they, and, they, and, they, and they sort of find ways. I think Colby was amazing with all his fun space in behind Pino. And, 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 and I just think oh, for France, it's a tough one. You know, it's, it's a tough one to look back on when they get to the, the Ireland game as well. It's, it's a harsh one because they didn't do much wrong. That's, that's, I think that's the tough part. It's, it's one thing if you can rock up, you can, you can leave it there. But if a game like that, when it's like just fine margins, it's they're still a high class, hard for a high class. High class Hartford, and unfortunately, like unfortunately, they had to be a loser, and likely it's not, it wasn't the Springboks. I think it's also maybe Cooks. We know, I think, from NFL and NBA that sometimes a team needs to lose in order to climb up the mountain to win. And I guess, arguably, you can say with the Springboks, they had that losing moment in 2015 because a lot of the big key players now were in that 2015 squad um, that lost to the All Blacks. And I guess they saw, obviously, with that fantastic All Blacks team, what they needed to do in order to get to the top. And that team had Itzabeth, Khaleesi, uh, Peter Steff, Lourdeacher, uh, I think was Marks there, I think, Pollard, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I think France are probably on, maybe that's the learning that they get that, you know, they'll still, I mean, we know this. We've talked about this many times. They'll still be a force <laughs> for the next four years, rest assured majority of their players are all going to come back and they're going to be in their early 30s. Dupont is still somehow 26 and Tamak is still somehow 25. 
et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they're going to get Mani Mofana as well um, from Toulouse. And he's going to continue the legacy of the thick uh, locks that France likes to produce. I'm sure Pasolo Tuilagi is also going to have something to say about that. So hopefully this is sort of the Graham Henry 2007 loss that helps you to win in 2011. So yeah, I, I, I can only imagine that France will definitely be in the conversation for winning the World Cup in four years' time. They, they definitely have the players. Gaultier's done a really good job. He's staying with um, Sean Edwards. They'll have to make a few changes in the coaching staff. They'll have to try to find a replacement for uh, Winnie Antonio. But for most things, they should be well-covered to be a world-class team in the next four years. Um, yeah. Jens, do you want to go through maybe some of the big moments that happened in the game? Just very quickly. So, I mean, I think... You're gone, Sean? Sorry. Uh, I apologize. I thought I didn't know you were going to chat more. Sorry. <laughs> it wasn't really a big a big moment, but I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. But I thought Pietro Malvaca was outstanding. I was sure. shit scared. Goodness. Every single time he touched the ball, I was worried something was going to happen. And he he was flipping, ripping it up. I, I was scared. I was scared. <laughs> I think it's just the... He can't be this good as a ball carrier and be a hooker. Like, that seems illegal. Like, something's wrong there. Like, he... I mean, he's obviously he's not like just those hookers that are good with the ball and not good with the set-piece stuff. He's very good with the set-piece stuff. Maybe not as good as Marchand, but up there in standard. And he was ridiculous. But yeah, I think Marchand not being there did show with France just struggling to get turnovers. Um, that the, the terms that they will usually would get. So a lot of the brand fell on Aldrich. So if Malvac was coming on with 30 minutes to go, that would have been a bit of chaos um, looking back. But yeah, I mean, he was good. I think Olivon had a really good game. Uh, Aldrich was fantastic as well. Uh, Jalibé, I think his option taking was a bit iffy sometimes, but he was good. I think the midfield also, it could have been a little bit better. But yeah, like it was very, very, very fine margins in this game. Cooks? And I wanted to say, I think with Malvaka, I think the best compliment I can give him in a, when you're playing in a match that involves some of the greats of the game and some of the best players in the world in... in Yabonetsabeth, uh, Dwayne Vermeulen, Dupont. Uh, the French won, but Mamwaka will be my man in the match. And I think there's, there's certain times in that yeah. game or certain periods in that game where he was the best player on the field, especially that first half. I thought, I thought the first half Mamwaka was the best player on the field. I was like, he, he was incredible. And that's, someone, and that's someone, some of the best players in the world. And I thought he was incredible. I think for France, he's arguably been like the final of the World Cup. He's been one of the best players. He's, he's had an incredible World Cup since coming on for Marchand early in the in the All Blacks game, but I thought he was incredible. And I just want to send a, a special just a sh- shout out to Dupont. I mean, that rock is there was a break he made on the on the blind side, and then like on the blind side, I think it's about a meter in. There's not many people who can who, who can make that break and sort of create something out of nothing. And then there was when I, I think he he carried, and then Sia had a rip, and it, it looked stone cold. Sia got the it ripped the ball from him, and. The way that Dupont ripped the ball back from Sia, and then within yeah, I think ten minutes later, yeah, but Elizabeth, same thing. He had all all he's money strong, had, and then he just ripped it back. Like isn't not even a, not even a rip where he still like almost like he ripped it back and was still able to go down and place it properly. I'm like, he makes certain plays where it's just freaky. Um, and, and, on, and on Saturday, I, I mean last night, I thought 
the first about 10 minutes, it took a little tentative to contact, obviously. But then I think when Jesse Creel ran into him on the touchline there, that sort of, he's sort of like, okay, you know what, this, um, this metal cheek and scrum cap is fine. And then from there, he's just, <laughs> he's like, okay, cool. If I can handle this, and, and then, then, then I should be fine. But I thought the point, I saw, I mean, I think I saw quite a few tw- tweets asking people going like, ooh, like, I don't know. I didn't see the the point that I thought we would see. Like, is this? I'm like, guys. I don't know what more that Oak must do. I know Jared and I were debating. Jared was at ninety percent. I like, obviously, he wasn't hundred percent. He's got a metal fucking plate in his in his in, in his. In his <laughs> he can't travel like, internationally. <laughs> and that's what the Oak, and that's what the and that's what the guy puts on. I mean, like, under that much duress, there's no nine that can put on a performance like that under that much duress. No. And Never. for him to still put out a great performance under. Most nines there, it's it, it's tickets. It shuts down the whole the whole. They they always they they want to pressure so tough. But I think with Dupont, he's so good structurally in terms of his passing game, his kicking game, kicking with both feet. But Sean, I think the scariest thing is when you almost force him to. You almost you sort of force him to, when you put him in the corner, it's like okay, cool, now Chris, I'm going to nothing. Like those times when the box would press him, and then he beats that first rusher, you're like, oh shit, now you're in trouble because you almost you got to stop him immediately. Once he beats the first oak and then his head pops out and you're like, oh no, now you panic because you can, you can create a situation from nothing where there's a couple of times when you had to dig for the ball, he sort of pops up, where he sort of, he sort of, where he sort of pops up and then uh, he's, 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 he just pops up. You're like, oh crap, Pond's going backwards. And then someone shoots up the line, they miss the first tackle and then from there becomes chaos. And I think that's what Dupont does. It's, it's scary how when things go off script, he's at his most dangerous. And yeah, like, yeah. Just, oh, what a player, man! Like what, what, what a player. But he's like, he really everything runs through him, absolutely everything. Um, and he was put under a lot of pressure. And you're hundred percent right. There is no player on earth that would have been able to manage manage what was thrown at him on Saturday. And I mean, it cost France in spaces, but I mean, he was also single handedly the reason why they did anything else. But I was, yeah, it was, it was incredible. And it all started with, it all started with that first two minutes of the game when they scored. Like I was, the, the start that fr- the France had was something I was expecting the South Africans to do, but the French came out pumping, man. And like, oh, yeah, he was, he was amazing, but it was an unbelievable start by France. Like that was a massive moment in the game. And like, I think it kind of basically, the marker was put down there and then like, this is what's going to happen. This is what we want to do. Um, everyone knows it, but it doesn't always happen. And then, uh, and then it was game on after that. No, hundred percent. No, it was a marker was laid there. I think from all, and then uh, I think France, yes, that Elizabeth's intervention there, that knockback is so massive because you're right. Cause 14, no, 12, no, there it could be a different game. And it's also Eben Elizabeth off the yellow card. Um, Penalty try, yeah, hundred percent. So I think, yeah, no, it was such a massive play. I think, and France said that that double punch would have been, could have, who knows how it could have happened. And then, but yeah, it was, but I mean, to wrap it up, it, what a game! I mean, it's still three other quarterfinals, and <laughs> you got to talk about. But yeah, geez, that was a fantastic game of rugby. You know, just on one thing, it's something that I like. I just want to get off my chest. I. I honestly thought, I really, really thought that we got a lot on Saturday. And 
I can promise you right now, if roles were reversed and we lost that game, everyone would be having a field day. Just like everyone's moaning about the French fans, moaning about X, Y, and Z. But we, I really honestly thought we got a lot on Saturday. Um, there was breakdown chaos for both sides, but there were a lot of things that, that went our way. Um, you're talking about Etzebeth reminded me of it, but I don't, I actually think that that was a great call. Um, you can't 100% say that it went forward. And um, yeah, that was, that was, that was challenging. But, but yeah, I, I, I just, I really thought that we, we got a fair bit. And um, I think we, in a way, were a little bit lucky with quite, with quite a few things, but we still managed to pull it through under the pressure we were at. So, yeah. Onto the semifinals we go, eh? And let's continue now with looking at the other semifinal from Saturday, a quarterfinal from Saturday, I should say. Uh, the Springboks opponents next week will be England. They beat Fiji 30 points to 24. Um, in, all, in some ways, a really well-managed game from England. They, start, they got the lead. They got a bit of distance between them and Fiji. It was predictable that Fiji would have that moment where they scored two tries in like 10 seconds, like they did in this game. And they came back to the game, tied up the score. And then England won it with a really well-taken drop goal and a penalty near the end and were able just to hold out Fiji. Um, Cooks, I'll start with you. With England, I mean, yeah, obviously, first of all, Cooks, we have to, again, come and bow at the feet of your um, awesome rugby knowledge. I mean, you saw this England team coming from a mile away when basically, I'm not even sure Stuart Borthwick, Steve Borthwick was able to see the success there. They're the only remaining unbeaten team in the World Cup. They're the only remaining Northern Hemisphere team in the Rugby World Cup. And they still play such crap rugby. <laughs> Cooks. I mean, yeah, how do, you, how do you see this England performance? To quote uh, Teller, the great Thanos on, um, on Avengers, <laughs> he says, they call me a madman. I, I mean, I mean <laughs> who would have thought? Who would have thought? But unfortunately, the, the, the run's got to end. I did say they, they go to the final, so I'm more than happy to I was just about my, to ask about that. <laughs> to keep my, my tag as a rugby in the pits just for until Saturday, because then obviously the box are, are going to win and then I can, we can go back to being all of us being rugby bits. But so I think um, I'm going to ride out this whole week until then, but then England's going to lose. But I think, uh, Tyler, again, I think England, I thought it was one of the better performances they've had under Fourth Duke in the year. I thought they were good uh, in terms of the way they managed the game, especially, the, especially after the chaotic nature when when fiji came back and just basically you know that that, that, that crazy 10 minutes that spell they normally have and i thought england did well to manage it takes the drop goal get another penalty thanks for coming um i, I thought england was good i think the, the the best thing about england's performance is all the all the all, all the stalwarts uh showed out this week i thought Cordy Laws was fantastic is even though he pushed and pushed the radar and that's and i thought england was also to manage the referee very, very well they knew the levels to push and sort of force Reynald into making decisions. And he, if he doesn't make decisions, then England will keep on harassing. I think England spoiled Fiji very well. That's what Cody Laws did. Toje was very, very good again for me in the weekend. That's, that's, I'm sure Tyler, that's going to make you exceptionally happy to see your boy back to that menacing form because he was an absolute pest. And, but I think as good as England was, for me, that's why you have... Owen Farrell on your team. Saturday just summed up. That's what you have Owen Farrell on your team. That's what makes him so good. That's that's why he's one of that's why he's one of the best chains and one of the best players English producer. And I just think the way Marshall game controlled the game, I thought he played a, little, a lot more flatter. 
on Saturday. I think early on, I think because England showed a, little, a lot more intent than I thought they would. Um, but um, and I thought obviously the way he managed the game, I mean, 20 points, um, he's kicking very, very well again, which is, I mean, was weird. His kicking was sort of wayward, but I thought that was his best performance in England should for a while and, and I thought it was needed. And I think England, I think the way they, they're sort of looking, they look a little more balanced on attack with kicking and running the ball a lot more. But I, I definitely do think on on Saturday they go, they go back to type A, which is probably straight at the back and then just an aerial, an aerial, an aerial assault. Because I, I do feel like on Saturday, it's if you're looking for a 35, 34 sort of game like this weekend, I think you're going to get a, England's going to make sure that does not happen. But um, yeah, I thought England was, I thought England was very good. And yeah, I think, ooh, I, I can't wait for Saturday. Yeah, I think Edelda Cook's massive performances from numbers four to eight. Um, I thought they were just absolute menaces for Fiji. Like you said, um, Courtney Laws was in constant conversation with Matthew Reynal about, hey, how far can I push this now? And how about now? And how about now the whole time? Uh, Tom Curry, I think he had a rough first 20 minutes, but he came back well, top of tackles as he usually is. Then Earl has been a revelation for England. I mean, he's brought that, uh, that Saracens form into the English shirt. I mean, it's still a bit of an imbalanced loose trio. I wonder if they go for Billy Vunipola and uh, Earl at seven on on, sa- on Saturday, but Big, I... Tell her, Billy Vunipola should be nowhere near the field when England plays <laughs> I'm not going down <laughs> this flipping thing again of Billy Vunipola and he has, the orc has literally has constant disaster classes against the box. There should be nowhere but near he's physical. <laughs> oh... There's even an SRV magazine cover with Dwayne and Billy. Like I think it's like 2014, like the battle oh, of the two best eight. And then Billy Vinopola put on a disaster class of disaster <laughs> classes. That guy should, he's fine with he is. There's one team he should play against, it's the Springboks. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I, I totally see what you're saying there. And I really thought Mitchell and Farrell managed the game so well from halfback. Mitchell's box kicking was mostly really good. I think... I mean, it's obviously something he's not well known for. He's obviously more of a running type of nine. Um, but his box kicking really put Fiji under pressure. They got nothing from the aerial battles. Farrell, I think he's, I still maintain, I mean, I know there's a lot of George Ford fans, but I still maintain he's the best all-around fly half out of the two. He kicks well. He obviously, well, okay, let's not talk too much about his defense because he did have some questions on su- su- Sunday. But he also gets the attack going a lot better than does for me, which is why I didn't think it was too controversial to to choose him instead of Ford. Yeah, I I, I think there's questions about what you do at 15, though, but I, I thought he played really well. Um, Sean, maybe just on the Fijian side, I mean, yeah, they were obviously quite frustrated, and I guess maybe it's the time to talk about the Reynal performance. Um, I think ultimately what lost them the game was just a few, yeah, unforced errors, basically. Like, when they did have opportunities with the ball, when they did have a bit of momentum, like they just either gave the ball away or just maybe tried to attack for too many phases, uh, you know, behind the advantage line. Um, Because in most stats, and obviously the goal kicking didn't really work out for them, but in most stats, they were close to level with the English. Yeah. Like if the Fiji had, if Fiji had to like look at how they had, could manage themselves to win that game on Saturday. 
they really struggled um, for large parts, especially the beginning. Like they didn't seem to be at the races. I really thought that England were going to absolutely obliterate them at one stage. I, I, I just thought they were going to crumble because it really looked to me like Fiji was stuck in between that the DNA of, of how they always play and how they should be playing test rugby. Like they were between the two and where they've done so well previously, like against Australia and Wales was they got to marry those two things together and they were all working like um, in harmony. And that didn't happen on Saturday because that was the thing is they have a solid scrum. They have a decent line out and then they've got that Fijian DNA and that running and those incredible hands and they're absolutely athletes you know muscles coming out of their ears and they didn't kind of get that right and then they did get it right and they and then that's what that's all they needed they needed to just get their tails up and the thing is is england are Im- mentally they're 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 soft and and in a way that if you get on top of them they can fall back into the oh shit we we playing crap again situation and that's what happened and Somehow, and the thing is that that burns me coming up to this weekend is England managed to pull things right again. Like they managed to fight for it. They they didn't crumble completely. And um, yeah, a couple calls. It was it was challenging. Like if we're very honest with each other, we're probably gonna get Renal or another one of the French referees um, this weekend. So we need to just get used to the the way that they're officiate. They're gonna officiate completely differently to the way O'Keefe does Northern Sun, Southern Hemisphere. We know this. Um, so yeah, so it was just it was tough for Fiji. I was bummed because I expected more from them in the first half, and we got it in the second half, and they just couldn't pull it off because there was a stage there where I thought they could win, and I was like just watching the TV with my jaw wide open. Now I think on the Raynell thing, I think my frustration is it's it's twofold. I think Raynell did allow England to get away with murder, and England knew. And England re- realized that, and they sort of played him very well, which is very, very smart of England. And England are, are a street mart side, especially with the likes of Itoje, Laws, Farrell. They know, especially Laws and Itoje, they are masters of the dark arts. Itoje is a menace of all menaces, so he he, he wakes around and just probably just walks around put, and walks to uh, kids. Uh, kids like fairs and just like it's cupcakes out their hands. That's how much he loves spoiling things. I'm not sure that's his favorite <laughs> hobby. But um, he just likes being a menace. That's what he does. <laughs> like, I, just, I think Itoje probably just like, oh, 100% he pops balloons. I think he's just that yeah. guy that just arrives at like kids' parties and just smashes the cake. Yeah. I'm <laughs> just like, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> you having your morning uh, coffee in the office? It's like it's the coffee cup out your hand, like spools in your white shirt. Like, hey, sorry, man. Now you're now I spoiled your day. Like, so like, and the thing is, and so they know how to stretch the laws. That it it's you need a, a, a an official like a, almost a reference, very harsh and clear on one of the one that break down. Where right now at times is like, hey, before because guys, Courtney Laws and Matira now were having a conversation while Courtney Laws was holding the ball, like. Leave it, leave it, leave it. I'm like, my man, you've got a whistle. <laughs> like that's how you can get him to leave it. Blow the whistle. But um, and I think that they judge as well. But I think yeah, Fiji will be unlucky. But I think for me, the biggest call, and this is one of my, my graphs on rugby, 
I personally think that Tom Curry should be recorded for that for that little card back special. Because what what hurt me the most is what annoyed me the most is he was nowhere near a rap. He's literally ended up with his hands on the ground. Like he's basically got there's no way you can rap and then still somehow have your hands on the ground as if like nothing. Like I'm like, oh man, he's literally going shoulder first. That is a But the ref has said literally that. He said it is foul play, but then he hasn't carded him. I don't understand. I, that for me is understand like as much as a hard we going on how hard we going on head knocks and 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 hearing in context, someone diving into your knees. If for example a boot gets stuck on the ground or hits in the wrong way, that's someone's career done. ACL knees done. And you, you and have what about to stamp a knee to out. his head? hundred percent. No, hundred percent. Yeah. No, I could not believe that that was not. I, I thought it should have been a red card, but never, the fact that it wasn't even a card, I was like, this is, this is unbelievable. And and I mean, like Tyler said, I've been mean, like, I mean, I, I'm sure that probably that woke up um, Tom Curry because my word, the first twenty minutes, I don't know what was going on with Tom Curry, but yeah, I, I think, oh, geez, I, I still that, that, that something has got to that's got to change because, for example, like Tom Curry's first ban. Which I, which I still think was harsh. Like, but then he, he does something worse. He almost basically detect, he almost takes someone's legs out, and it's like, nah, just play on. Like, we, we owe you one. We, what Rugby says, we actually owe you one. So, <laughs> turn the field. Our bad. We got the other band wrong for four weeks. So, next, so you got one free, one free foul play, and, and Sam and Tom Curry used it properly. Yeah, no, I think that was really good there from Curry. Um, yeah, I think you've you've nailed the talking points there. But even with that, Fiji still had enough opportunities though. Like they still were quite close to England with penalties conceded and with uh the turnovers. So I don't know. Yeah, they it was in their uh it was in their hands to try and, and actually win this game. But um I think that's enough or Sean, is there anything else you want to can say I, about this team? Can I, can I quickly add? Let's go. If there's any English fans here and they know anyone from England or know any journalists or anyone from England, please tell them that if you guys want to win on Saturday, do not write one single piece of positive thing about this team in England. Just go back to the days when you lost to Fiji. Just call this team useless again. Do not get carried away now because you won this weekend. Do not make the same mistake of four years ago. Please, I'm trying to help you in a way because if you do and you give this DreamWorks any extra motivation, we will hurt you. These looks will hurt you again. So if I'm, if I'm English press, I don't mean writing an article. I'm just be like, you know what? Reprint the ones from the last time. Don't even praise this English side. Just, just go on as if nothing's happened. Go on with your days. Do not fall in your trap that your waters fall to with your sports side or you overhype them for too much because do not give this box side any, any, any added motivation. To beat you again. Yeah, I would, if I'm England, this is actually the almost the perfect game for England if they want to do a, a siege revenge. Like, this is kind of the same situation as four years ago at the New Zealand semi-final, but they're just worse. This week, nothing must be said in the press. No Ellis Gens must be in the press. No Joe Marla. Like, just get Owen Farrell to give two-word answers basically the whole week and say absolutely nothing like he usually does. Borthwick also knows how to say a lot by saying nothing so like get those people to just give no sort of like motivation and just lull the box into some sense of like false security i mean 
we'll talk about the other semifinals, but it's quite, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Springboks start thinking about New Zealand next week. Obviously, the coaches will make sure that they don't do that, but it's very easy for them to be lulled into that false sense of security that the job's done and they can look forward to the final. So if I'm England, I'm playing into that, almost that ego um, as far as possible just to sort of keep the eyes off them. I mean, praise the Springboks as much as possible. Talk about how tough it was. Talk about last year in Twickenham, how they thrashed you. Like, And just give such vanilla answers and hopefully just... And pay Clive Woodward and Matt Dawson, I don't know how much pounds, but they must say nothing in the press this week. They must be bound and gagged and thrown into, like, the London Tower for the week. Like, no articles from Clive, no articles from Dawson, no motivation must go to the spring box. They must just be quiet and they just rock up and, and try to surprise the box. I mean, we'll talk about it during the week. I don't know how many, I don't know if they have much of a chance, but if they do, it's not by, you know, kicking up the hornet's nest this week. Sean? Yo, I, you know me. I don't care. It's against the Springboks. I do not care. We must dominate. And one thing I will say, I, one thing that I don't, I've never ever felt about the Springboks is complacency. The other is, I, I stand by what I said earlier where we, we, we did, we, we didn't play well for large parts of the game against France. Like we executed well when we turned over, but there's so much more we can fix. And I don't think that anyone in the Springbok camp for one second believes that England are going to be a walkover. We have to come, we have to hit them hard. Like the only way we prove that England are shit is by beating them by 40 points. Like we don't leave them in the game. We don't let them cruise through. We don't let anything. We have to go and we have to go hard. So you actually must stop this cuck now. <laughs> okay. Um, let's then go into the other semifinals. Let's start with Argentina-Wales <laughs> games. So Argentina, I'm just, I'm just going to just slide past that. So Argentina um, won <laughs> 29 points to 17 against Wales. Very funny game, I think, as well. Because um, it seemed like Wales... Um, Sean, I think it seemed like Wales had it basically um, up until like the 35th minute and then all the momentum went to Argentina and they couldn't really stop it. Um, there was an opportunity for Wales to really stretch that lead out to about 15 to 20 points and they just didn't take it. And Argentina, if you give them a bit of a gap, they'll go and they're so much better with Nicolas Sanchez playing, but that's again a conversation for another day. Um, Los Pumas, I think, should be happy with obviously you know, that they came through and, you know, when they can get their attack going and keep the ball and go through phases, then they put any defense under big pressure. Yeah, I, I agree on, on Nico Sanchez. He, he needs to start. I, I really feel that that's what they need. Um, and yeah, it was an interesting game. I, I think Wales are still a little bit vulnerable in that, they're from where they've come from in the last few months and really needed to kind of knuckle things down. Almost kind of what I mentioned about England, like where they get a little bit soft and then they crumble and it's like the, oh shit, it's happening again vibe. And that's, that's what happened. I mean, at halftime, what was it? A 10-3 lead or 10-6? And slowly Argentina got back in, took the lead. And then Thomas Williams, like that. That try, I was like, 
because it seemed like Argentina were on top of it and in the game. And then Williams scored, and I was like, oh, now Argentina are going to crumble and Wales are just going to dominate. And it did the opposite. Um, you know, then Sklavi scored, I think, and then Sanchez scored with an intercept. But that intercept was, was huge. Um, you know, that's, that's a 17-19 game. Um, Wales, a penalty wins it for them, you know, and uh, Sanchez has come on and they've absorbed the pressure and then he's gone for gold. So very interesting. I'm I'm loving it. Though. Loving loving Argentina back in the groove. And Cooks, Michael Checker teams are always so difficult to analyze because it seems like they are allergic to, you know, kicking well and playing with territory and everything. I must give Argentina credit though. They seem like they did learn at least from some of their mistakes from the England game. I mean, they kicked 34 times in this game. It seemed like Wales was actually the ones trying to maybe play too much with the board. And it's, yeah, they did sort of adjust to playing a defensive team that is happy to park the bus and to try and defend things. And I think, yeah, the big difference there was to give uh, Carreras his credit, like him and and, uh, and Tom Scobelli, I think they tried to manage the game well. But yeah, again, I can't get away from... There was there were a lot of chances for Wales to actually just go far and away in this game, and they have only themselves to blame. No, hundred percent, Tyler. I think Wales lost the game in the first half. That, I think that's where for me that was that big loss. I mean, they were sort of in cruise control. I mean, I mean, first, I mean, the first thirty minutes of the game wasn't great, but I think Wales did enough to sort of be in cruise control of that game, and then they sort of the way they closed out the first half, allowing allowing the game to go at ten six. I think at half time. And you're like, jeepers, like, Wales was, like, Argentina were nowhere to be seen. And, and sort of, then you gave them a little bit of a spark, and then Argentina sort of woke up and realized, and realized that they were actually playing a quarterfinal. They're like, oh, yeah, guys, remember, we're actually playing a quarterfinal, so let's uh, start playing some rugby. And they did. And I thought Argentina was good the second half. But, um, yeah, Wales definitely a chance. I think this one's going to hurt as well because I think, I mean, it's, 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 it's a performance where, like, Wales, for some reason, it, just, it felt like they kept getting drawn into playing too much rugby for no reason. And and I thought this was a perfect Warren Ball sort of game where you just sort of test rugby there, kick well, defend well, create one or two chances, take your chances. But they, they sort of almost tried to do too much. Where I think Argentina, I think the master stroke with what Czech, Michael Czech has done is having the likes of Creevy and Sanchez on the bench. So good experience on the bench. Guys who close out those games, I thought Sanchez was very good. When he came on, makes a massive play to, to to get the intercept and win the game. But yeah, I think Wales is definitely for them. It's definitely a game. I feel like they lost, and I think maybe it, it's going to be tough for them because yeah, I, I definitely think that it's a semi-final berth that they threw away. Yeah, and a, a relatively easy one at that. They should be kicking themselves. Okay, let's get to the final or the final game we're discussing, which is the. New Zealand versus Ireland game. And what, I mean, that was also an epic. Um, probably, yeah, I mean, <laughs> before the Springbok France game, probably the best knockout game or the best quarterfinal game that we've seen in a long time. New Zealand winning that 28 points to 24. Um, and yeah, they just had a really good start and then um, came back. Uh, Ireland tried to come back and New Zealand just did enough and it was good game management and fantastic defense that helped them just seal the win. Cooks, I'll start with you. Um, before we go into what for for Ireland, but I think in terms of the All Blacks, they really got to their top level and they showed that 
geez, they still have a fantastic team if most of their twenty like top twenty three players are fit. Oh, Tala, what? And they have epic. proper coaching. No, hundred percent epic. I mean, that's probably the best performance in the four years. Um, um, put that in Ellis Park last year. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you guys watched the press conference, but I, I did have a chuckle at Ian Foster's comment, and they asked him like, "Is that the best performance in your reign?" And he's like. Yeah, but I think it's um, Ellis Park last year since that's the one you guys always go on about. Is it to the media? I, I did enjoy that little <laughs> dig. <laughs> I mean, after that, he's, I was like, Fozzie, you do a dig because Flipper now you've caught, you, you've caught your unwarranted, but he's caught his, his, his flag. But I thought the All Blacks were great. And I think, you know, Rusty always talks about, and we like to talk about the gutters. I think the All Blacks went deep into the gutter. And what I thought was so good about the All Blacks, I think in the first game against France, the All Blacks scored very quickly. Had a great start against there, scored early, scored early again in the second half, and then sort of allowed France to slowly but surely get back into the game. And I thought what, what the All Blacks did well this weekend was they just always kept their noses in front, finding a good penalty, a penalty here and there, finding three points here and there. Jordy Barry's boot was absolutely epic, one of such a clutch goal kicker. And, and also, I think just they, they always kept themselves in front. And I thought, I don't think Ireland necessarily, I just felt Ireland did so well to always get themselves back in the game. But they never, the All Blacks almost didn't give them a chance to actually throw a punch. And there's always, always kept, Ireland would catch up and the All Blacks pull away again. Ireland catches up and, and they also had, very similar to the Springboks, the All Blacks had big chances. And, and when they got the chances, they were clinical, like the Moanga, the, the, the Moanga breaks. And, but for, for the Will Jordan trial, but I mean, I think the All Blacks, the, the effort, I mean, 30, what, 37, 37 phases at the end there to, to defend. Um, you Against the best attack in the world, that just goes down to all effort. I mean, that right because of the window there, it goes down to effort and, and what the group thinks of each other. And I think the All Blacks, it's absolutely, that was a, a massive performance. Sam Kane, Audi Sevilla, I mean, Sam Whitelock. Sam Whitelock was amazing. He came on Brody. I mean, you could name so many guys who, who were good, um, but... I love Andy Good saying that uh, that should have been a penalty. Like at the end, like, it shouldn't have been. It should have been. It should have been a penalty for Ireland. I was like, do you, do you not no. see the Negro on Aldi like three phases before, or the number of times that Ireland got like? You know, there's about two or three penalties that should have been called like within those 32 phases. And then I was like, so I also I don't think there was a. I, I thought there was a stone clear penalty from from Sam Whitelock, but what a absolute insane effort from the All Blacks. I mean, that was incredible. What a test as well. Massive test, I think, from both teams, and they really put it all out there. And yeah, I think the big difference for the All Blacks was a lot of their big players really played well. And yeah, I think it was a big test for um, the, I think, the players that had doubts. Um, I've certainly thrown more than my fair share of doubts on these players, but the props were really good. They, I think it's the first time they were able to take away um, Andrew Porter's um, invisibility cloak in the scrums, which was obviously important. Shannon Frizzell sure. carried well. Did you he see that really... aerial view of his first penalty? <laughs> like, he was yeah. facing the touchline scrummaging. I'm like, Yo, if you didn't pick that up, you would have been blind. But he, he's been doing that the whole time. That's what I, I don't know. understand. And I, yeah, look, yeah. Shout out to Provincial State of Mind. Uh, Jeff has been on this for two years and for whatever reason it just refs just didn't really pick it up and this week i don't know if um foster and james ryan like made a big point to it to uh, wayne barnes but he yeah 
there was going to be a game where it cost Ireland or Leinster. Unfortunately, it was the score of final. But yeah, great on Lomax to put him under pressure. And even on Newland, um, Tamati Williams, they came on and they re- were really good at the scrums. I was actually expecting a bit of a drop-off in the scrums because those are two really young props. And, you know, obviously they didn't do well in the Twickenham game, but I guess it was the support of Dane Coles and Sam Whitelock around them as well. Um, yeah, so they were brilliant. Frizzell carried well, even if he didn't maybe make as many meters as he did in that smart, smart game. So apparently Frizzell, Kane, and Savia have won five out of the six games that they've started together. The only time they've lost was against Argentina last year. So maybe some confidence hmm. for the Pumas. Uh, Sam Kane was a machine, an absolute machine. Like, we, I mean, yeah, we're very much big supporters of Sam Kane on this pod, but... I think we know this as um, people that watch Sam Kane week in, week out. When it's a tight trench warfare type of game, that's the player that you want because he's the player that will put his body on the line. And in a way, maybe the McCall comparison is a bit off, but kind of like early Skulk Berger that just absolutely puts his body on the road, essentially, and just is willing to get himself run over. Richie Monga's 10 minutes at scrum half was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I thought he was, that was so good at managing the outstanding. game. That was outstanding. Like his passes, kicks, like it was incredible. Jordy Barrett, obviously, with the massive stop with his um, big thigh there. Um, I, don't, I still watch that. I'm still not sure how Kelho doesn't score from there. And I don't think there was much Kelho could have done differently. Maybe he should have started diving instead of flopping over, if I can put it like that. But Barrett, his uh, reactions to get down there so quickly was just amazing. You can't really fault that. I thought Rico was quite good at center. Um, I I don't even think the Aki try was really his fault. He was trying to stop Aki from going outside, which I think he did. His inside support didn't come there. Lester Fanganuku was great. Um, I think whatever Mark Talea was doing in the streets of Paris is probably going to lose him. Uh, uh, opportunities to feature in these knockout games now. Yeah, so I think it was just a fantastic game from all of the big players for for the All Blacks. Sean, on the island side, I don't know. I, I still am shaking my head. I just don't know how, what and how and when it will happen for them because they were so close. And even in the last minutes with them basically attacking from deep and going through those 30 phases, it just felt like okay, maybe New Zealand's just going to give it away. Maybe New Zealand's just going to uh, make a mistake and blink. But, jeez, yeah, I, I don't know what Ireland or how Ireland sort of makes it or improves from, from where they are. I mean, this is a special generational side. And, jeez, they still can't get over this flippin' monkey on their backs. This is This is going to hurt them. It really, really is. It's, yeah, I... I feel bad kind of saying what I'm going to say because obviously we've got um, quite a lot of mates over there, but it was a lot of it felt to me that Ireland were expecting to go through and we're just like, it's not, it sounds bad. I don't think they just pitched up, but this is probably a prime example of the downside of being so structured and like a metronome because nothing changed in their game they just they believed in it so much like and it's worked and there's no doubt about it i mean we saw it in the all blacks for years and years and ireland almost 
beat the record for the most test wins for a tier one nation. But losing in the quarterfinal hurts. And there was some decisions made that probably are going to give them nightmares going forward. Um, I thought Sexton could maybe have come off five or 10 minutes early, but that is such a tough decision to make. You know, you know he's got the plums to win the game for you. So are you going to take him off at a vital period? Probably not, but he, he really looked out on his feet. And yeah, it was, it, it was hard to watch. Um, it was hard to watch because I think everyone expected them to make that move into the semifinals. And it just goes to show that like, sports is cruel, but amazing, depending on what side of the coin you're on. And like on the day, you've got to be the best and you have to absolutely blow it away. And um, kind of similar, like France and Ireland, kind of similar against South Africa and New Zealand, where like they, they probably played the better game um, in, a, in a way. It was probably obviously more structured and, and stuff like that. But, you know, playing the All Blacks, you know they've got it. The thing is, is I believe that Ireland felt that they had the All Blacks number. Like they felt that they could deal with whatever they threw at them. And they almost did. Um, but they just didn't quite have like that idea. Like going down, well, what did they go down in the first 20 minutes? 10 points, 15 points? I can't remember. Like going down there, that's when everyone kind of sat up and was like, oh, hang on a second. You know, like this, this is real. This is a test match. This is a quarterfinal. But another 60 minutes left in the game. You're like, cool, Ireland must, you know, that's your warning shot across the bow. Settle in and sort it out. And Sexton's the right man to guide people around. But the frustration started settling in with everybody. Um, and uh, it started showing. And the All Blacks were just feeding off that. Um, I think the hard thing with the, um, with the All Blacks, um, for, I mean, for the Irish in the game, because the All Blacks emotionally put a lot into that game. I mean, there's an Aaron Smith video when you could see, like, in his eyes, it was oh. like, listen, this last year hurt. They even oh. mentioned that they lost to England. And it's like, this what, it hurt. It hurt us. And, 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 and I love the fact you didn't mention, like, like you said, there's a few Oaks in here who experienced England and experienced last year. Like, it hurt. And it's one of those things Cooks. where... Cooks, I'm sorry. Yes, okay? Did you see, you see in that interview when they asked him something and he was just like, he just had this stare and he looked and he says, we can play them now. No, 100%. I was like, oh, he's on. There's one of those things... And, and Sharky was like, okay, Ireland's, I thought, I was like, Ireland need to sort of not try and match New Zealand's emotional levels and sort of just focus. And I thought Ireland, biggest, one of the biggest um, traits this, in this run is how efficient they have been, like the execution has been at all time high. And I thought they got drawn into that emotional battle that the All Blacks were almost feeding off. I think the All Blacks, because I still think, that, that Ireland are a better side. And they've shown they're a better side in terms of this run leading up. And the All Blacks had to draw in a lot more. And Ireland sort of fed into that by also sort of going down there and sort of trying to match the All Blacks' emotional levels. Because the All Blacks with them was also a bit of pride and a, and a bit of, listen, these dogs came to New Zealand and fucked us up. I mean, excuse my language, but that's what they did. They came there and they beat New Zealand. They won five of the last seven tests. Um, they they favourites. Like, and... And I saw a stat saying it's the first time New Zealand, I mean, New Zealand in their history, they've been not fair, so I think four games. 
and it was all against the Springboks because the first time was Asado was a favourite against them, England besides the Springboks. So they're probably thinking these Oaks, we're the underdogs, yeah? And it's a scary place to be an all-black side. And, and even in that, I thought, and Ireland still had opportunities. And in and Ireland still got themselves back in that game. They just, I just felt they just never threw a punch. But the All Blacks, and it's and you could tell who were the guys who played well as well. It was a Sam Kane. It was a Bowden Barrett. It was a Bowden Retallick. It was Aaron Smith. All the experienced members, they all stepped up and as if, like, listen, these Oaks cannot beat us again. And, um, and I think with Ireland, I think it's going to be hard. Oh, it's... And, and, and for me, it's, you know, because you see a lot of tweets about, and people going like, oh, like, what, like, is it worth now winning four years or winning one game? And, and their run is incredible. It's one of the best runs ever. That doesn't change it. I think now they just fall in the bracket of, like, the um, 03 All Blacks, um, like the 07 All Blacks, who, who All Black sides were good in between World Cup. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's unfortunate. There's nothing wrong with that. I think if you look at 2003, the All Blacks put 50 on the Wallabies and Springboks leading up to the to the World Cup, and they had a very good side. But just they lost a good Wallaby side on the day in the World Cup. So it's one of those things. I think Ireland will always be remembered for this run, and they can be incredibly proud of what they did. But they're just almost in that next tier of next tier of. They could fall in the once some of the best sides have never won it, you know. I mean, one of those in that tier, but it, it's gonna hurt for them. I, I definitely think so. But yeah, but the All Blacks on the weekend after the Aaron Smith video, and also when they swept the shades, rugby values, hashtag rugby values. I think that's where it was also won. <laughs> you know, another thing that I was reminded about, like, it's just thinking back now when we talk about Aaron Smith, and I mean, New Zealand did take a lead, but I have never, not anywhere in a game, let alone the opening two minutes, three minutes, I've never seen the All Blacks so nervous. Aaron Smith probably used his lifetime's worth of shit passes in five passages of play. It was that also, I, in, a, in a small way, I think probably reinforced with Ireland. They're like, if we just go the way we go, we will win because we've just got to, we've just got to work it stick to the plan, stick to the plan, because the All Blacks were rattled. I mean, honest, honestly, when, uh, how many times, you can't even count on one, you can count it on one hand, how many times Aaron Smith has thrown a bad pass in his life. And he threw three in the opening few minutes, two, two, three. It was oh, just crazy. I've never seen the All Blacks like that. It was quite something. You know, also, Sharky was also crazy. Like you all said, like it was, that, that that start of theirs, like obviously, like there was a bit of nerves there, but also they got, they sort of got momentum. And and one thing about the All Blacks, I mean, even at the peak, they always had this thing: the the more the more desperate they are, and the more tired of the game, they just resort back to their pack and they just pick and goes and just go bully. And it, and they almost try and don't make the game as helter skelter. They just sort of go like, we're just gonna try and go through. And I think that's what they did. I mean, obviously, I mean, they they still can create. They still can create trials out of anywhere. I think some of their trials there. This is, I think what Rico did very well. Rico had one or two. You know, I think in, in the in his trial was where he gave the laser funny sort of drop back and receive back and scored. He was he was the last passer for Cody Taylor and for Aldi Surveyor's try. Just those those small differences. I think is what, is what makes us a sharp side. If the, if they are firing, you just know they're about to get two or three tries just due to. Good decision making and just out and out skill, but um, yeah, it's gonna be your. Uh, the nice thing is you can actually listen to zombies again now. Fucking hell! 
the last month you couldn't <laughs> not listen to the song. Now you, you you walk in the shop and you sing zombies, be like, oh, it's about the Irish. Now at least like you know you can sing that song. And I mean, Ireland, Ireland must be fun, guys. I mean, they won they won um, the Six Nations. They were monster on the URC. So it's a, it's not our fault they decided to win five games in a row at the start of the year, not you know in October. And um, hey, guys, shame you. Yo, life. Rugby heritage, guys, is a real thing. <laughs> That's a real I, thing. This, yeah, this reminds me of just Real Madrid just finding a way in the Champions League. Like, they would not be the favorite team. I thought this weekend could actually be like a bit of a shift in the, in the rugby cosmos of things moving up north. And somehow New Zealand, the Springboks just grew an extra leg and arm just to find themselves to get themselves past two teams that you know they've had their struggles with in the last few years and two teams that have been absolutely consistent and almost fault, faultless in their performances so yeah like this was very much rugby heritage coming out there um yeah i oh, there's so much you can say about ireland but i think the big thing is anyone yeah i i hate this talking point because i think this is kind of the reason why the rugby uh, that world rugby trophies maybe could change things for a positive is anyone that devalues what Ireland have done in the last 20 years oh, in the last four years sorry is just talking out the bum man because it's a grand slam a very good grand slam 17 wins in a row like close to the record uh, away test victory test series victory against New Zealand literally only four teams have done that um, ever in rugby, ever, full stop. So those things show you more than anything else, obviously, how great this Irish team was. On another day with a better draw, they're at least in the semifinal. And yeah, like there's obviously so much they can do in the future. Like Crowley's going to take up Sexton's spot. Bielem is there for Furlong's spot. Um, Baird's going to take Peter Omani's spot. You know, there's going to be some succession we've seen how good the under 20s are they're going to probably be the team that boosts themselves the most playing against the african teams throughout the year like things are there and they set up and again similar to what i said for france like there is a bit of a graham henry 2007 crossroads moment they have i mean they've i think they've extended andy farrell's contract already but yeah they must just continue on this path farrell must try to get in whatever outside help whoever they 2007 Eddie Joneses, and just keep on continuing to grow this 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 um, this team for New Zealand. Tell I know, tell I, sorry, know who, 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 I know who can help them. A Sangoma. Certain. That's that's what um <laughs> that's what they need. A Sangoma. Just <laughs> slaughter a cow, slaughter a goat, slaughter goats. Do something like this is time for it's time for like desperate times for COVID desperate measures. Something's gonna change here. It's like that's what. Or if in doubt, just bring in Michael Checker, but a year before the World Cup. Hey, Checks, do you mind helping out as a as a consultant to turn things around a year before the World Cup? And box people, and box people. Do something. Do something. I mean, um, just don't, just, just, just don't. Um, yeah, you're, you're right. Just don't panic. Yeah, shame. It's, it's sometimes you gotta go through the trenches, and they've been going through the trenches, but um, it's unfortunately he'll bounce back. But I think a few goats being slaughtered. I think they'll be fine. Like that's sometimes you know, that's and that it'll solve it solves many many black families issues. So I think this will solve Ireland's issue. <laughs>
I I was just gonna say for New Zealand side, I don't know why teams aren't sniffing around James Ryan and trying to get them to be their head coach. I mean, maybe not for England now because Borthwick's made a semi-final. Maybe Gatland, there's an opportunity there. But James Ryan has transformed that New Zealand pack and made them fighters. I think he's probably put himself as someone that deserves a head coaching stint. Likely for, geez, guys, New Zealand's going to get better. They're going to have Razor, Jason Ryan, Ryan um, Wayne Smith is coming back in. I think Schmidt is also still hanging around. That's scary. I'm very scared about all, that. But do you remember all the the comments when when Schmidt left Ireland and then he went back to New Zealand and then he popped his head up in a little bit of Super Rugby and then voila into the Kiwis and everyone thought, oh yeah, come something. Yeah. Look, we'll we'll yeah. The the problem is New Zealand actually has a very good chance of winning a World Cup with what could be their worst side in the last 20 years, which is very scary. But anyway, guys, let's, um, first of all, let's, I think, shout out some of the retirees, the people that played their last game. So Dan Bigger retires from the Welsh team after this uh, World Cup. I'm sure the likes of Lee Halfpenny and possibly George North probably follow him soon. Um, Johnny Sexton and Keith Earls have retired, possibly also Bundy Aki, who's had, I mean, if there's a, I mean, I'm sure the World Rugby Player of the Year slash Player of the Tournament nominations will come out this week, but Aki deserves to be in that top five or shortlist or whatever, just on how good he was. Um, But yeah, Sexton, obviously, you know, he's just a, he's literally just a World Cup away from having a very good shot as being the best Northern Hemisphere fly half or player in all time. He's just been a brilliant, amazing player. Obviously, very competitive as well. <laughs> Says the wrong things when he loses, but yeah, like he's he's that sort of person that you really come to watch. And he's had the same move that's worked for fifteen years. Like having something use, named. Did he use it you, properly this weekend though? I mean, his legs were shot, and I think it goes back to your point, Sean. He probably should have been subbed around by 60, 65 minutes. But I, I didn't see the Sexton loop do any damage this weekend. Yeah, but that's, I think, also just credit to New Zealand for the intensity in their, in their defense. They didn't really give uh, Ireland a chance to really get, get, get their patterns going. But I still think, even though Sexton was at walking pace, essentially, in the last, like, 10, 5 minutes, he still was finding gaps in the in the New Zealand defense, which is ridiculous. Like, yeah, there's not going to be too many better 38-year-olds um, that play this game. So, yeah, he's retiring. Um, on the Fijian side, probably the last we'll see of someone like Levani Botia, um, unfortunately. Yeah. He's 34. Oh. Uh, know, at least crazy. we can watch him for La Rochelle, but yes, he's yeah. a weapon. But yeah, I think him, Semira Dradra probably as well, Frank Lomani. I think Nice Alev was also in the 30, in his 30s. So yeah, the, that's a special Fijian generation. We hope that the Drua can continue to produce these players. And then finally, um, on the French side, we talked about it, I think, earlier, but Winnie Antonio and Roman Taufe Fenua are also retiring. Just two big in many ways, big players. And yeah, they've obviously really helped with this French uh, upswing in the last few years. And they're going to be yeah, tough players to replace, I think, in some ways because of just Guys, their size. Is, um, Tala, is, um, is Sexton retired from internationals or Leinster as well? 
everything. Damn. <laughs> are you not? Are you sure he's not retired, Cooks? No, I, I thought I thought he was still coming back for Leinster. One more run, nope. and I was thinking, you know what? He goes to Leinster. You know, plays one season, two more season, and then we here we are, twenty twenty-five, and Andy Farrell gives him a call. Listen, buddy, can you give me two more years? I don't know. I don't know what you're gonna do. Just give me two more years. Goes to the Lions tour, does mayhem, like puts him back in the chamber, brings him back twenty twenty-seven off the bench. Gets us gets the semi-final. Forty-two years old. Forty-two years old. Tom Brady style. Like I said, like right, right now, I would send Sexton to America to go learn the TB12 Tom Brady program. So for two years. <laughs> so play for Leinster for a bit, and then you spend the other half of the year with Tom Brady. Just how, because I mean, Tom Brady was 45 when he retired. Just, and then you go, and you bring him back for the, all you need is, you're asking him to play essentially 13 caps. Few here for the Lions, few here in, 20, in 2026, and leash him 2027. Off the bench though, just mentoring Jack Rock. It's, it would be a beautiful story. I'm just saying, that's maybe the, the if I'm Andy Farrell, I'm keeping that in the back pocket. I'm asking the Springboks who's got Tom Brady's number because clearly someone, one of our, one of our people <laughs> don't have his number. <laughs> like, that's the least I can do. I mean, if he, if he can't get hold of Rusty, ask one of like, Peter Omani, I'm sure Peter Omani still knows has Rusty's number from Munster. Like, how, let a brother help another brother. You know what I mean? That, that's, that, that's what I would do for Jonas Sixth. There's, there's someone that's leaving Omani. I, don't, I, I can see him irritating people until he's 38 himself. So I, I wouldn't think so. bet on that now. How old is he now? Yeah. 34, I think. What? Yeah, it's not, he's I, not that old. I don't think. Oh, may, yeah, maybe, maybe he's got another season. I don't him, think his body is going to let him. His body won't allow him to get there. Not just. I don't think. <laughs> hopefully, he's But he has so much like, hate in his heart. He will just he get is, hey? through spite. He's dark, bro. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Thirty-four confirmed. He's thirty-four years old right now. But yeah, like I think with Sexton, I can't wait for his um, because he kind of retires in a similar way to Orono Gara. Like most fans outside of. Pretty much his province hate him, but I can't wait for that resurgence and that like uh, uh, face turn he does when he coaches in New Zealand for a little bit. Maybe he coaches with the Blues and not the Crusaders like Ronan did. Coaches in France, maybe gets like Bayonne or Montpellier, and then it's yeah. Sexton versus Ogara part two, and then Tell they it. come together to coach Ireland. Like uh, Sexton is obviously going to be a great coach. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you in heard me- that story. Bernard Jackman was telling that. Um, he was on a podcast. He was saying that, like, some under nines, he was doing like a coaching seminar, and some under nines coach said, Hey, can you give me all your like warm up moves and warm ups? Um, and can I have it urgently? And then Jackman's like, I'm driving, I can't really do it now. He phones the guy and he says, Look, you don't know the pressure of coaching Johnny Sexton's son because Johnny Sexton's son was in his team. So Johnny was basically always looking over like what they're doing for warm ups and the moves and everything. And it's Actually, it wasn't just Sexton's son. It was also Brian O'Driscoll's son. So, yeah, I can see Sexton being involved in the game for the next 10, but 15 imagine, years. Imagine him being a coach. Like, look at his temperament. Imagine that guy. You think Russi got long bands. That oak will get coaching bands for days. He won't even be allowed to be on the same continent as a World Cup, let alone the same stadium. To be fair, Sharky, I mean, Ron O'Gara has turned a great coach. I mean, and he did single-handedly. Lose a Lions series because he decided to take out Freddie Dupree in the air. He was no 
He was no calm, cool, collected rugby player as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, Rog. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to think now. I don't know. I, to be fair, the last 12 months in Sexton's career really kind of put a sour sort of taste in people's mouth in terms of his temperament and how he conducts himself, especially. I mean, he was having words after that game. Probably deserved, we, I'm hearing, um, that he definitely deserved to give Rico a little bit of lip back. But yeah, like, uh, I don't know. I mean, imagine. Imagine Agara and Sexton up against each other in like a Champions Cup semifinal. <laughs> Big chaos. There'll be punches thrown. Fist it's not the first time. Fist fights. No, 100%. Oh, definitely wait. the first time. Do you guys remember when Sex, when, uh, not who's, who was the Crowley before Crowley? Carberry was coming up. And there was that one Interpros game between Munster and Leinster. And Sexton bullied him, physically bullied him the whole game. Like held him down in rucks, like pushed him around and everything. I was just like, this man, I mean, obviously, maybe he doesn't have the World Cups to show it, but this man is like that. Michael Jordan and I took it personally, like personified. He really just gets in there and he's the most competitive person in the world. I'm sure he doesn't let his kids win any game of gainers at home, any Monopoly, snakes and ladders, whatever. He doesn't let them win. Like, yeah, I think he's going to be great as an assistant coach. Like, he needs that head coach just to calm things down when he shouts at the backs or whatever. And they'll be like, no, guys, don't worry. Like, it's all good. But yeah, I can't wait for him to be involved in the game in the future. Okay, so I think that's all the goodbyes. That's all the teams. And look, let's look forward to the two semifinals very quickly. Let's start with New Zealand, Argentina. I mean, the last time these three, these two teams played against each other, it was 43 points to 12 to the All Blacks. The All Blacks had a 17-0 scoreline after 12 minutes. I... Apart from New Zealand being just very like mentally spent or physically spent from the island game, I just can't really see a way for this game to not come to the same sort of conclusion. Like if Matera was there, maybe I'd still support Argentina if they were willing to pull the trigger on Sanchez, maybe. But Sean, I don't know. I, I can't really see how New Zealand I mean how Argentina gets close here. The the only way they get close is the exact same reason why they're going to lose by 50. It's like they're going to overfroth it, you know? Like they, they're going to have to be so overly pumped and so ready, but then they have to execute within the laws of the game um, because we all know like a crazy ruck clear out's going to happen and then it's all going to go tits up. But, and that's the same thing that's going to help them win the game, you know? They've got to absolutely be off their rocker. So, yeah. Interesting times ahead. Cooks, for New Zealand, I think it's try to get a big early lead and then be able to kind of coast and manage the game until the last minute. Yeah, I think I think Argentina sort of, I think what's made the All Blacks at their best is their ability to get for fast starts. I think you look at all the games that, I mean, Argentina, Mount Smart, um, um, obviously against Ireland, against against France, as about France is the only team that caught them out. And then you look at when they play against us at Twickenham, they got, they got off a terrible start and they could never recover. But I think against Argentina, if, if Argentina don't start off well, the All Blacks can hurt them and, can, and hurt them properly. But I think the All Blacks, it's, it's phys, physically, I think it's going to be, uh, physically and mentally, it's going to be big come down from, from last week. Um, we saw that with England, obviously, last World Cup when they beat, when they beat, um, when they beat the, the All Blacks and then obviously sort of 
to come rise again against Springboks. It was, it was always tough. I think for Argentina, this is their World Cup final. They've got nothing to lose, which is which is always dangerous. So I think the All Blacks, it's, for me, it's it's so crucial they start off well. And 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 and, I, and, and it's going to be, it's going to take it and, and not sort of allow Argentina to get back in that game. And for Argentina, very simple. Take the second off, put it in a bottle, and then do the 80 minutes on Saturday. And, and who knows? Okay, moving on to Springboks versus England. Um, obviously, that game happens on Saturday. We have <clears throat> a nice little uh, uh, entree before that, or like starter before that, with South Africa facing England in the Cricket World Cup on the same day as well. Books, I think you've talked about um, <laughs> that England off the field just needs to keep things quiet. Um, but on the field, what's, what, what hopes do they have? How do they, manage, how do they go about this game? I mean, you have to say, I mean, the Springboks are definitely favourites. Um, so I think it's for, the, for England, I think it's going to be one of those games where it's a big, big, um, it's almost outboard the Springboks. I think it's going to be a big kicking battle, big, big trench warfare. I think England's going to try going down the gutters, but also be a little slightly smarter and not obviously just try and do what they did in 2019. I think also emotionally, I think it's England will be in a different in a different space. I think this is, like, it feels like they're 2019 again, but instead of playing the All Blacks, it's the Springboks, and they will have that motivation factor of the Springboks having beaten them last year. I mean, I mean, last World Cup. So I think with England, you've got to play that emotion. And also, I think with England, it's, again, talking to make sure their CPC is strong, making sure they have a good kit game. It's, 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 it's not going to be pretty. I think with England, I, I think this, this weekend game is not going to be pretty. I think it's going to be, I think the box counter attack is, is probably what is what something in England probably feels a lot. How clinical the box has become, now, how clinical they are in counter attacks. But I do think England's biggest hope is, yeah, I think they're going to have to sort of go into a big, big, big kicking battle and and, and, and try to get that sanity there. But um, I'm not writing. I'm definitely writing England off. Um, it's, it's I'm actually a little bit. I think as the week goes, I'll, my my worry levels will come because I do think. Emotionally, and this England's this is the game they'll get themselves up for a lot, and they, and I feel like they have a free shot. I think having gotten to the semi final now, they're not not expect them to be here. So it's the, in the day, they've whether they lose or not, they won't get as much backlash. If they lose, it will be oh, okay. Come third, you know what? We reward next year. If they win, it's even more better. So that I think that makes them very very dangerous. Yeah. Look, and there's still enough world-class or formerly world-class, whatever you want to call them, players there in England that can really do a job on, on the Springboks. So, yeah, there's, they can't rest on their laurels. But, yeah, you, it's, it's the sort of game, I think, for both semifinals. Both, both England and Argentina need New Zealand and South Africa to be playing at, like, less than, eight, less than 80% at the very least and them to have perfect games. I think the gap in class is just that wide. And they need to hope that the six-day turnaround works against those teams and works in their favor. And, yeah, maybe if Matthew Reynal is the one referring, it could also help England uh, for the game on Saturday. Just finally, Cooks, two things. Uh, the RC starts just in time with the English, uh, with the Irish and Welsh players coming back <laughs> to the teams, unfortunately. So, yeah, the RC will start this weekend. Very exciting about, excited about that. Yeah, look, the second teams look strong. Their jerseys suck, but the second teams look like they'll have a big influence on on the rest of the games. Because I don't know if you've seen the second jerseys. The Bulls one 
which is written bulls about 2,000 times. <laughs> bulls. Disaster class. No, it's, 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 it's not looking too great. I was like, oh, man, like I thought we'd get some some proper, proper rugby drip off. Especially since like, the World Cup jersey, a lot of them have been very, very nice. I thought I thought rugby was up, upgrading its drip, its drip last time, but no, unfortunately, we've we, we got to go back from rugby World Cup into a football drip, but always excited to see the, the, the URC kick off again, um, best league. So, um, yeah, I think it's very nice of Ireland and Wales sort of to, to go back early and you know, make Scotland feel left out. Um, um, unfortunately, we still got obviously to deal the World Cup. So it's basically the old Pro 14, old Pro 12 at the moment until <laughs> uh, until the, bo- the, other, 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 the other remaining box come back. But um, yeah, very keen for the URC to, to, to kick off. And lastly, Cooks, you need to answer some allegations. Um, were you playing for France last night as their midfielder? Are you Jonathan Dante? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, obviously for me, Tala is a rugby for France and then obviously then podcast on the side, so uh, you do a bit of both. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I'm gutted right now. I mean, I, I love the game, Tala, so, you know, obviously, it's, it's obviously just, I love giving back. So I'm, I'm podcasting a, a day after losing a World Cup quarterfinal because I just want to make sure I get my thoughts <laughs> out, you know, but, um, the problem is, eh, when Dante didn't, when Dante still had the long um, dreadlocks, that was fine. Since, since then he cut his hair, I cut my hair, and I'm like, oh no, and I'm like, okay, that's, uh, I see it a little bit. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't help. It doesn't help Jared now on Twitter put a literally like a side by side picture. So now like, it's, it's not the worst person in the world to compare to. Like, I, I wouldn't mind. We've got similar builds. He's a much better player. I mean, so I'm being compared to the. I look like a top three twelve in the world, so I, I, I don't mind that. Uh, look, fair enough. Like, there's many people you can look like, and you've chosen to look like a world-class rugby player. Like, you're not doing too bad for yourself then. No, I, yeah. yeah, I've been on this for a few months. I'm glad that there's more people catching up to it. That, ah, uh-uh, man, there's something here. There's something Cooks has a secret French passport he's not telling us about. No, I've tried to hide it. Like, I saw your allegation on Twitter. I never, ever engaged back at you at all. I was like, tell her, come on, we like, got to keep this under wraps. I'm trying to keep a job at Supersport. They, they, they shouldn't know my side <laughs> hustle is actually international rugby. Like, like, I don't want people to know, like, this is my, my side hustle. But, um, well, the World Cup's done now, so I'll have more time. So, I mean, I mean, trying to fly in between continents and work at the same time has been, has been draining. <laughs> no, Cooks, you've done a really good job, um, not only in the match and in the World Cup, but in this podcast as well. Let's wrap it up there. Thank you so much for listening to uh, another episode of Rugby Bits. We're going to try to also just get a lot of content out for the week as well and just preview the big semifinal matches that are happening. And yeah, maybe a few URC things here and there as well, but mostly focused on the Rugby World Cup. Um, yeah, please follow us on our social media channels. Please like, share, and subscribe um, to the podcast and make sure that we can just stay. And yeah, of course, we climb to the top of the South African Rugby rugby podcast rankings um we we back up Dean, as that Idris Alba, <laughs> as that Idris Alba uh meme always says so like yeah feels good to be at the top there no it does but also I mean tell us some good competition as well guys some really good pods I mean like the behind the rock one is come in mm-hmm. um shaking things up now we all now we're all fighting for for top spot and you still got the good the bad and the rugby the shaded version so to be on top of those to be on top of those guys, it's, uh, it's, it's very, very good.
but then thanks to you guys for supporting. Yes, we are. We'll start here and we'll move to Senegal and Madagascar and those other countries as well. But yeah, fantastic um, to to be back on top there. And yes, thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you next week. Or actually, sometime during this week, I'm sure. Cheers.